Amen. I want to attempt to talk to you tonight, hopefully with some clarity, <coughs> excuse me, about the problems of getting stuck. Um, it is not a new idea to any of you that are here, and for some of you it's an acute problem that um, you're probably experiencing right now. It's when we begin something, we begin a journey, we begin a project, we begin a life, we begin a dream, um, and somehow along that journey we get stuck. And uh, it's one of the most frustrating experiences, I think, in, in the whole of life, because um, you're not where you've been and you're not where, where you want to be. And um, sometimes your daddy has to die to make you move on. Now that sounds a strange statement, and for some of you don't be now thinking you've got to embrace euthanasia because your daddy's still alive and you desperately want to move on, so you spend the rest of the evening dreaming about how to get rid of your daddy. That's a metaphor for an actual story that's recorded in the Bible in, in the book of Genesis. At the end of Genesis chapter 11, he talks about this guy called Abraham, who's a very significant figure in the Bible. It doesn't matter at this moment how much you know about him, except to know that his story is an amazing story because it's, it's one of something that, that, that in, the, in the message and the narrative of God's journey with humanity is called faith. And uh, I was going to just talk about faith tonight, but I just felt my heart shift this way a little bit. But faith is very important. And this guy, Abraham, he, he was living with his family in, a, in a, um, a very important city of the time that its equivalent today would be, uh, of the Coldies would have been London or New York or, 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 um, uh, or Paris. It was that kind of city, very significant, important city and community, very highly developed. <clears throat> but um, Abraham, at some point in there, had... had I call it heard a voice on the wind. Um, it was that something that stirs inside of you that, that calls you on to somewhere else, to something else, to be someone else. And, and we, we would be um, writing into the text something that is not there if we assume that Abraham knew that that was God in the context and, and extent to which we would understand God speaking. I'm not sure that he did. Ur of the Chaldees was a, he was a pagan culture. And uh, what I love about this is that you don't have to be in a Christian culture, a church culture, an environment for that voice on the wind to speak to you deep inside of here. Some of you have not really made a commitment to follow Jesus yet or might not call yourself a Christian or even believe in God have still heard that voice. You know you've heard it. That voice on the wind that it calls you somewhere in here. It's calling you on to something, to somewhere, to someone actually that, that you've not realised what it is. And Abraham had this this sense, but the problem was as he as he I think, and I'm I'm here reading into the story. Maybe shared it with with his family. Um, it was finally his father who pushed the thing along because his father. 
um, he said, let's, let's leave here. Uh, the problem was that they didn't go to where this guy Abraham felt this voice was, this calling was pushing him to go. And they, they stopped at a, um, uh, another town that called Haran, which, which was, Haran was a, a town that had grown up on an oasis crossroads on a major trade route. And uh, what was interesting is that, that anything that they had experienced in this major city of the Chaldees in terms of um, pagans and gods um, was, was amplified in Haran because you had all these different cultures and peoples coming through. And one of the major trades at that time in Haran was to trade in idols of gods. So that, that's the kind of environment um, where where this is happening. So some of you think somehow Christianity is this thing that has to be nurtured and, and grown in a particular environment with particular songs. And, and, but, but you see, really the roots of all this is that, is that this God who I believe in, this, this Father in heaven, this, this, this Father of Jesus, actually reaches to people in all cultures, all over the place, in all kinds of our struggles and reaches to use. The issue is not whether he is. The issue is sometimes we don't realize it. We don't know what to call it. But somehow that's something in here. And you know what I'm talking about. That's something in here calling us on, calling us somewhere or to someone. It, it's there. So, so Abraham's in this place. The, the problem is he stayed there for years. I mean, years and years. He, they stayed in this place called Aaron with his dad and his his brother died before his father and he was there with his nephew and they were in this place. But, but you see, then, then it goes on in chapter 12 of Genesis to say, the Lord had said to Abraham, leave your country, your people, your father's house and go to a land that I will show you and I'll make you a great nation and I'll bless you. There was something pulling him on that there was more in his life and more about his story than he had yet experienced or encountered. And, and, and God was needing to draw that out of him. And to draw that out of him, he had to draw Abraham out of where he was. Uh, if I can share a little lesson, I have found that for God to draw out of you what he wants to draw out of you, usually he's got to draw you out of where you are. Okay? That's why part of Jesus' message was, follow me. It was, I've got to pull you out of where you are. He was talked about words like conversion and words like new birth. I've got to pull you out of where you are. So Abraham's stuck and doesn't have the resolve, doesn't have the understanding, it seems, to get out of the situation that he's stuck in. He wants to honor his daddy. He wants to honor his past. And so he's kind of, I'm not going to be there, but, but I can't go to to where I need to be. So, so Abraham got stuck somewhere between where he had been and where he hoped to be. So there was something in Abraham all this time. He hoped to be somewhere. Just like in you tonight, you hope to be somewhere in, 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 in a week's time, in a month's time, in five years' time. You hope to be somewhere in your life, in your marriage, in your heart. In, you hope to be somewhere. But he's stuck between where, where he'd been and where he hoped to be. And it seems to me, just as a, a little glance, just pass me that water, Joel. It seems to me that, that somehow in Abraham's life, his daddy was determining his destiny. His daddy was dictating his destiny. And the issue is, let's, let's not take it just that 
physical dads determine our destiny, although that can be the case, particularly if you have a controlling father. But there are significant behavioral patterns birthed in all of us by circumstances and experiences in life that is like our daddy dictating what we do. It's like that's the patriarchal power in our life that's dictating what we do. So, from the circumstances and experiences of life, the question is, can I, can I get past that thing or does that daddy need to die in order for me to actually leave where it is that I got stuck? Now, sometimes you've got to take being stuck to a, a, a great extent before you'll appreciate and realize that you're stuck. But being a leader watching all of you, I know, I know sometimes when some of you have gotten really stuck because what I see coming out of you are behaviors that reflect uh, something in your life that has been put in you by circumstance and by experience that, that is now actually dictating your destiny. And that's what I'm driving after today. For those of you I don't know, that may be the case. What is fathering your situation? What's controlling where you are that you're stuck? Because it may be tonight that your daddy has to die. That thing that is dictating your destiny, that's holding you in a place where you actually need to move on. Now, there are three depleted or missing ingredients that contribute to this experience, plus a fourth element that can only be applied in the power of the first three, but I probably have to leave that for another time tonight so we don't get too bogged down. But I want to look at the scripture just to talk to you about being stuck. It's in the New Testament part of the Bible that and it's, it's 1 Corinthians 13, and this might seem quite an unusual chapter to, to look at, to talk about being stuck. But, but here's what he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw my little word translations in here. I'm only a noise, right? Because we don't have many resounding gongs or clanging cymbals, do we, that... In other words, I, I can have acquired the skill or the ability to communicate brilliantly and talk about stuff and converse over all kinds of subjects and, and issues, and, and even angelic issues, even issues that are, that are bigger than humanity. But he said, but, but, but if you don't have love, you've just become a noise. So, so something's missing. You're stuck. Because something's missing, you're stuck. You've got lots to say and lots of thoughts, but you're stuck. You're just a noise, okay? He says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and have all knowledge. So if, if, I, if I can predict things that are going to happen, if I can read situations so well that I can expose to you the mysteries behind those situations, if I'm extremely knowledgeable and educated and, uh, and well-schooled, in, in, in academia, but also in life. Um, and even if, even if you have the kind of belief and faith and self-belief that can move mountains, he said, but, but if there's an ingredient missing, you're actually nothing. Now, the reason he's saying this is because you can have all these things, and yet what's going on in your heart is not, I know all mysteries, I've got prophecy, I can speak well. What's going on in your heart is you're actually thinking, I'm just a noise, I'm nothing. 
And he says, if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, if, if, if I am a, a giver, if I'm charitable, if I give my time, if I donate myself to good causes, but this ingredient is missing, he says, I gain nothing. So what he's driving at is that I start to feel what I believe and I start to believe what I feel, that I'm only a noise, I'm nothing, I have gained nothing, I'm stuck. So what he's really saying is we can have all the elements, practical elements, that would seem to make our life mean something and be worth something and take us somewhere, but actually have an empty feeling inside that I'm just a noise, I am nothing, I've gained nothing. And we can put on the show, because all of these things is talked about, these external things. We can put on the show. We can, we can lead anybody we want to believe anything about us. But at the end of the day, what he's really driving at is there are some things that when they're missing in our life, it means that we get stuck. Okay? So some of you might be at that point thinking, I'm just a noise. I'm, I'm just nothing. I, I, I've gained nothing. Well, the truth is I need to change what I'm believing first. See, because the problem is, while ever that happens and then I am believing that my abilities will carry me through, that my skills will get me past this, that, that I can work my way out of this, while I'm believing that, the problem is I'm becoming something very different. And so he goes on from verse 4, and I'm going to change the words here because when you miss this ingredient, when, when you've lost what it's about, when you begin to rely on your own strength to think you can get through, actually what happens, you revert to the nature that has occurred in you because of this daddy thing, what life and circumstances birthed in you begins to come to the fore. And here's what happens. You become impatient. You become unkind. You become envious. You become boastful. You become proud. You become rude. You become self-seeking. You become easily angered. You keep record of wrongs. You delight in evil. You do not rejoice with the truth. You stop protecting. You stop trusting. You stop hoping. You stop persevering. Why? Because you're stuck between where you were and where you'd hoped to be, just like Abraham in Aaron. And so if those elements are showing up in your life, out of the frustration of where you find yourself, it's because you're actually stuck and something needs to die. Because you've never dealt with what it is that's fathered those issues within you. And so like Abraham, daddy might need to die. The thing that fathered that in you might need to die. Now in order to change what I'm believing that leads me into those situations, it may help to know the three deleted or missing ingredients that contribute to this. Because in all of these situations, there are three ingredients that are always missing that are contributing to this, that leave me impatient, unkind, envious, boastful, proud, rude, self-seeking, easily angered, keeping record of wrongs, delighting in evil, not rejoicing with the truth, not protecting, not trusting, not hoping, not persevering, stuck in a blind alley. And these are the three things, and it's found right in the last verse of this very chapter. Verse 13 says, Now these three remain... So what he said is when you shake everything up in life, when, 
when you've looked at all the possibilities and the options of resolving your situation, when you've realized that you're stuck and you want to know how not to be stuck anymore, it's not the options of knowing the future and being, having knowledge and being wise and knowing the answer to all the questions. He said, when you've, when you've tested all that and you've thrown it all up in the air and put it in the blender, only three things remain. And if you get back to these three things, you won't be stuck anymore. And he says, these are the three things, faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. But then he goes to say, but the greatest of these is love. So if when you've shaken away all the things that we try to resolve life with and, and what you're left with is faith, hope, and love, those are the three things that are important. Why does he then say, but the greatest of these is love? Well, here's how it works. When I stop living like I am loved and stop loving living, I lose hope. I don't know anybody who has lost hope where that hope didn't start when you stop living like you loved and you stop loving living. Because when you stop living like you loved, how many of you know you stop loving living? Why do you think people commit suicide? It's not because they, you know, failed their GCSE A-level or because they didn't get into university or because what ultimately is at the bottom of that or worse is the issue of, of being loved. Being loved. In fact, be careful with your kids when you're pushing them to do well in college or university because if they feel your love is attached to their performance, you are putting them at risk of suicide because if they are emotionally weak and you put that pressure on that you will only be loved if you succeed and they feel they can't succeed, that's why kids commit suicide. That's why, that's why partners commit suicide. That's why people do strange stuff because the pressure on them is, if you do this, I will love you. But you see, unless we get a different perspective on love... And we have to live like we're loved because we actually are. And then we love living when we live like we're loved. So when we don't live like we're loved, we stop loving living and, and I lose hope. Losing hope is an awful thing. I, I wrestle with that issue. And the problem is we're often trying to recover the hope that we lost by trying to find hope in the hopelessness. But you can't find hope in hopelessness. The whole reason you're hopeless is because the hope's gone. But what we do, we struggle to find the hope in the hopelessness when actually the answer is not the hopelessness. Okay? So the problem is when hope is lost, faith can't come alive and grow. It's a lovely verse in the Bible. I was raised with it. Know these verses off by heart. That faith is the substance of things hoped for. And it becomes the evidence of things that you cannot see. Faith, this wonderful, powerful ingredient that, that moves mountains, that changes worlds, that will change your life, it, it actually can't work without hope because faith makes substance of things. That means that faith will make a thing become reality in your life, your experience. 
But faith makes substance of what we hope for. So while we're hopeless, faith can't come alive in us. So sometimes we, we, people call it, I left my faith. Or people say, I left the church. Why? Because faith can't come alive where there is no hope. But there's a reason why we don't have any hope. And it's not because the church was bad or a partner was bad or a husband was bad or a wife was bad or we didn't have enough knowledge or we didn't have enough gifts. It's never that. It's because we never understood the issue of being loved and particularly being loved by God the Father. When you get that in place, hope invariably springs up in your heart. And if faith doesn't come alive, I'm bound within a world determined only by what I can see. So can you see we've got a decreasing momentum here. We've got, we've got an entropy. We've got a dying process here because, because if I don't have faith come alive, I'm bound within a world determined only by what I can see. And, and what I can see makes me not have any hope. And because I don't have any hope, I can feel that nobody loves me. And so this thing just goes on and on and on. Why? Because you're actually trapped. Because it's the problem of getting stuck. And some of you are stuck. This is the, the circumstances have fathered you into this situation where you are on this cycle of faith has not come alive, so you feel hopeless, and because you feel hopeless, you don't know that you're loved, and because you don't know that you're loved, faith can't come alive, and because faith doesn't come alive, you feel hopeless, and it's this cycle of life that just is not increasing. You know, when the Bible talks about eternal life, we, we because of a, a measure of manipulation of of biblical text and, and understanding have made that all about a place called heaven out there somewhere. But actually, um, the Bible doesn't mean heaven when it talks about eternal life, because otherwise it would say heaven. When it talks about eternal life, it means, it means, it uses the term zoe, which is the, the Greek word that's used to describe the God kind of life, not 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 animal kind of life, God kind of life. And it uses the word eternal, meaning aeons or ages. It means that ages of life pour into your existence. Okay. Now, of course, if you've got that, um, you, you wouldn't be able to die forever anyway, even if you tried, because there's aeons of the God kind of life that are flowing into you. So, so we, we get on this cycle where we're actually we're stuck. And, and some of you are there right now, tonight. Some of you are there and you don't know who to blame. Because the, the issue is it's not about who's to blame. And the problem with us human beings, when we get stuck like that, we're always looking for somebody to blame. I'm in this place because you, them, it, this. When actually, if, if you apportion blame, it's not going to get you out of where you're stuck. Okay. If, if the issue, if, if your daddy hasn't died, it's not going to get you out of where you're stuck. You'll stay in Aaron in between where you'd hope to be and where you've been. But I'm trying to help you get free of that tonight. And so, faith doesn't come alive. I'm bound in a world determined only by what I can see. And um, the deal is, see, love produces hope. And hope produces faith. That's what happens. Love produces hope. 
and hope produces faith. That's why the Bible says God so loved the world, because love produces hope, hope produces faith, and faith produces results. Love produces hope, hope produces faith, and faith produces results. Therefore, love is the greatest. The reason love is the greatest is because faith is lost when hope is gone, but hope is lost when love has died or is dying. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay? So love is the greatest. But, but when he says love is the greatest, that's not your trigger to try and be loved. Because that's the other problem we have. Well, if love is the greatest, I've got to try and be loved. So we try and get people to love us. And, and often what we do by trying to get people to love us is just by doing what they want of us. To, to, to gain their approval. Uh, because somehow we're trying to get a grasp on the kind of love that we're looking for, but we're trying to earn that love from others. How many of you know that love you have to earn is not love at all? So the moment you feel that someone's love has to be earned, run a thousand miles. Because whatever it is that you earn is not love. And you will be used and you will be abused. You know, one of the key methods in, in an abusive system, whether it whether it's abuse of, of men, women, boys, girls, whatever, um, in the context, and we've got a lot of cases going on like that about serial abuse, is because people are led to believe that they have to earn approval by what they do, so they try to earn the love of the person. You will never get love. If you have to earn it, it will never be love. And the truth is, anything you had to earn, when you stop doing what you did to earn it, the love will not be there. Now here's the problem, we've grown so used to that being the measure for human love that we then transfer that onto God. And so some of you are full of all this nonsense that says, I have to be good, I have to be this, I have to be that, I have to do this, I have to achieve that. You know, or people who said to me, oh, you know, if I came in that church, a lightning bolt would strike me dead. Why is that? Because they feel that somehow they haven't earned the love of God and that God's going to be mad with them, that somehow you have to earn something from from this God of heaven, this, this Father of Jesus, and that becomes a mistake. So, so the trigger in this is not for you to try to be loved. Okay? It's actually the opposite. I want you to stop trying. Nor is it the pressure to love more and love better. Because again, this has been an incredible, destructive um, thing that's put people in prison in the context of, of church and Christianity and happens in other religious forms as well, the pressure that you have to not only love, but love better. You have to love more and you have to love better. I, I lived under that, that bondage for years in my life. Didn't realize it was a bondage, but I ultimately realized actually that my experience of the love of God, although I said that it was, it was given to an undeserving sinner and it was free and by grace, I realized actually my measure of the love of God was connected to what I did for God and how I acted towards God. So, so I, I had no context really in my life for really understanding this love that was totally void of any necessity for me to earn it or to gain it. So, so the pressure is not to love more and love better. The reason he says that 
the greatest is love is because the kind of love we're talking about is the gentle invitation to let yourself be loved again. By a love that is given because of and that will never change or be removed in spite of. I need to explain that. A love that is given because of and that will never ever be removed in spite of. Now, it's important to say this because um, I, I was going to say because of my background, some stuff just comes out of me, that God loves you in spite of who you are. That's not love. Because if God only loves me in spite of who I am, that means there's actually nothing lovely about me. He's just being very generous in his heart because I'm a, I'm a stinking, horrible person, nothing lovable about me. I always knew it. That's why people don't love. There's nothing lovable, uh, but, but, but God loves me in spite of. God does not love you in spite of anything. God loves you because of. He loves you because of who you are. It says God so loved the world. He doesn't say in spite of who they are. God so loved the world because of who they are. So every one of you, God loves you because of who you are, right? But he, and he will never remove his love in spite of who you are. Do you get the difference? He loves you because of who you are, but he will not remove his love in spite of who you are. Because we've all done enough to one another, and particularly to God a million times, that ought to cause his love to shift or to change or, or to be diminished or to be measured. But the truth is, he will never change that because he loves me because of who I am. He thinks I'm fantastic. And when he thinks I'm fantastic, he then loves me in spite of what I do. Now, of course, my response to that love is the stuff that's the in spite of. It would be loving and kind to have a look at those things and say, because I know God loves me in spite of that, I'd like to, I'd like to take some steps to address that and understand why that might be the case so that I can at least return that love to him, but none of it is measured by that. So at the very core of the, the good news called the gospel is the truth that God so loved that he gave. So the question is, does your daddy need to die so you can move on and become unstuck? And can you receive that gentle impartation of God loving you? He loves you more than you could imagine. I love what Brendan Manning says, he loves you in grace and disgrace. Never loves you any differently, never loves you any less. Because it's actually in the understanding and receiving of that love to us or the restoration of replacing ourselves under that love of God. The remembering that it was that love that touched us and changed us and helped us that then allows hope to rise again. And hope is the, is the expectation that the last word has not yet been spoken. It's the best definition I've ever heard for hope. It's not a confession that we're one step from failure, but it's a confident expectation that the last word has not yet been spoken. When you start to feel hope like that, faith begins to rise to say, I know the last word has not yet been spoken, and I believe God because God is with me, and he loves me, and he cares for me, and he's going to bless me. And it's not all that other stuff, trumpets and prophecies and, and knowledge and and. and qualification and it's not any of that stuff but the greatest of these is love so why have I said all that 
because the way out of being stuck, and the way to get out of being stuck, is not to try and pursue all the stuff that you think will unstick you. Because how that turns up is like we said in that second part of Corinthians that leaves me usually frustrated. So I, I become angry and impatient and unkind and envious and all those things because something's not settled in my heart. Let something settle in your heart tonight. If you're stuck, let something settle. God loves me. God loves me because I am me. And he will not change the measure of that love in spite of what I do, or who I try to be. God loves me. If you can get back into the core of that love and stop trying to earn it and just receive it, I guarantee you that hope will begin to rise in your heart again. And from that hope, faith that brings substance. And So instead of being like Abraham, stuck in Aaron, which was not where he'd been, but was not where he had hoped to be, you begin to move again to where you had hoped to be. He loves you because. All you have to do is accept it because. Your because is because he loved me. So John says we love him because he first loved us. When you accept that because, I love him because he loves me, hope is gonna start to rise again in your heart. I pray this will touch you as a person. I pray this will touch us as a house because it will bring about the purpose of God that he promised from that wind, in, that voice in the wind that says there's something more. You're something more. There's something greater. Just bow your heads with me for a moment. Father, let your loving arms enfold everyone in here tonight, I pray. I pray that every single person will have a sense right now of, of that supernatural, amazing, beyond above, outside of, that love that comes only from God the Father can't be found anywhere else. The love that is wider, higher, deeper and longer than any of the situations and messes that we have found ourselves in or gotten ourselves into. So for the God who so loved the world right now, let let that presence invade every heart, fill every heart, I pray in Jesus' name. Because you know, Father, I, I want those of us who have gotten stuck to get unstuck. For those who have found that hope has gone and faith has disappeared, for hope to rise again and faith to come back. Because today the circumstance and the situation that fathered in us the situation in which we are trapped today, we're letting that daddy die and no longer dictate our circumstances. We are not slaves to our past. But we have been made free men and women and boys and girls by the grace of God so we can embrace our present so that our present can create our future And that our future is the future that has the life of God within it. That is being shaped and being formed because of your life in us now. Because of eternal life in us now. As you receive the love of God, receive the gift of eternal life. It says that that you should not perish. You know what perishing is, don't you? When stuff's on the shelf for too long. 
gone past its sell-by date. It starts to decay and perish. God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him, believes in that love that's come through the son and what he's done through the son will not perish but will have everlasting life. That, that life of ages that fills you. And I want you to receive it tonight. Just open your heart. Take it, receive it. Sometimes this gets so difficult because we're so wired into what do I have to do for me to get? And we don't always feel as comfortable when it's just I accept that, I receive that. I embrace that, but you can do it. Accept it, receive it, embrace it right now. Deep in that part of you where that voice on the wind, you know, is calling you on, calling you further, calling you greater. That's the voice of God in you. Embrace it now, receive it. And thank him. Say thank you for for that voice from heaven in my heart that's calling me on, that's changing me. Thank you for the love that you have poured upon me and in me and through me that I now embrace. I thank you that I am loved by you because of who I am and that love will never change in spite of who I am. I receive it in Jesus' name. So Father, bless every life, bless every heart in here. May freedom be found, may dreams come alive, may hope be restored and may faith make substance of the things we hope for and bring evidence of the things we have not yet seen. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're done. See some of you on Wednesday with your questions, and uh, if not, we'll see you on Saturday. All right, bless you, we're done.